So you've been trying it and you're saying that you're getting mixed results, that sometimes yeah. it works yeah. and sometimes it don't. Yeah. And so. you've also pinned down that the times that it don't, um, either because of or that situation creates that you work too hard. Yeah. That working too hard or uh, um, too much effort. Yeah. That's very, very typical. Yeah. It's taken me this long. Oh, go on, go on. About to say something. All right. Well, it's very much the Western mindset. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I, I got a tiny little story to tell you, and that is, is that uh, at one time I mentioned to Achan Bhikkhu Buddhadasa the Western phrase. In fact, this was very new when I was just first around him. And we were talking about practice. And he, uh, I says, uh, there's a phrase, at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Yeah. That's the persistence part, okay? Yeah. And he said, no, if at first you don't succeed, look at what you're doing, yeah. okay? This is, in fact, exactly the essence of the teaching of the Buddha. And that the way that the Buddha would express it then as right effort is the effort to see wrong view is wrong view. And then the effort that it takes to change the wrong view to right view. And then the effort that it takes to change wrong thought into right thought once we have the right view. In other words, once we understand what is wrong thought, then we merely change it. That's actually now the sounding board or the definition of what is right view. And guess what? That's all we have to do. Hmm. And what happens is we think that we're not successful at that, and so we work harder at it. Instead of seeing that, oh, that's what we're doing. Okay, that that in fact, uh, taking the wrong effort uh, is exactly what um, violates one of the most important, most beautiful statements about the teachings of the Buddha is actually in a number of different suttas, including in the Dhammapada and in sutta number 38 or several places that I know of it. And that phrase is, is that the teachings of the Buddha are good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end with right phrasing and um, examples. Now, basically what that means is, is that if it's not taught right with correct uh, procedures and whatnot like that, it winds up not being good in the beginning for most. In fact, if it starts off not so good in the beginning, then what kind of effort does it take to keep someone continuing to meditate? A lot. The base, huh? A uh -huh. lot of effort. A lot of effort, which means a lot of wanting and a lot of desire. Okay. Uh, and here we are practicing a practice that is teaching to uh, the success is not wanting anything, not desiring anything. So you never get that. 
And that kind of person with that kind of wrong thinking never gets there because he's stumbling over the fact that he wants it. That this is the right, the wrong attitude about it, rather than the right attitude or the right thought, would be that I'm okay already. Mm-hmm. That thoughts come and go, and the thought that comes that makes me feel bad has got to go. And so that's the way that we begin to uh, to look at it as that we've got to guard the mind to allow only wholesome stuff in. Okay, and so what you do with everybody is sometimes you're good at that and sometimes you're not. But when you're not, instead of correcting it and getting it back good again, you now go down the same rat hole that you've always gone down, which is to work really hard chasing it. Mm -hmm. So it's time for that to change also. To recognize that even though some thoughts are persistent and want to keep coming back, they only come back one persistent thought at a time. And yet many people get the idea, I guess, from the idea of being grandiose, that if I see see one duck, then I see another duck, and then I see another duck, I must think that there's ducks everywhere. Okay? Rather than... Uh, just seeing what's there. So this is what we have to deal with. It's not that, uh, in fact, um, it's even incorrect to talk about a rabbit hole. What we would mean by that rabbit hole, in fact, is, is that once we allow the mind to latch on to that unwholesome thought, it will keep going with that unwholesome thought until it's broken up. Okay, and that, in fact, is part of the struggle itself, that we need to break out of that. And we can do it when we remember to do it, because it really is easy to change the mind. That, in fact, the monkey mind jumps from place to place to place to place, basically because it feels like it's being chased. Yeah. And so there's a kind of restlessness that we seem to have built into us that we can't find a resting place. And so part of the effort that we're putting in is trying to keep jumping. Maybe I'll find a resting place, but no, this one's not it, and no, that one's not it. With that judgmental mind, rather than saying, well, wherever I am, I can either judge it to be good or bad, and why am I doing that? Why can't I just allow this place to be okay? But you see, that takes a thought to think that. That's a wholesome thought, to come into thinking wholesome thoughts. Hey, this one's all right. And that is what helps us break that cycle. Instead of working hard to try to get out of that cycle, which is just going to keep the cycle going, the other one is to just merely step aside, step out of the way, just enough right effort to recognize that those thoughts are wrong thoughts and that I can change them to wholesome thoughts, noble thoughts. I think what I want to think. 
And here I'm thinking about what a pile of trash that is, not recognizing that that pile of trash is something that I've created in my own mind. Why should I want a pile of trash in my mind? Go ahead. So with, if it's a wholesome thought, is it enough that you're just aware that you're thinking wholesome thoughts? Because you also don't want to be caught in the, or does it have to be in the present, a thought about the present? Because if you're thinking... The thoughts about the present are the most wholesome kind. Okay. Yeah. The only other kind, in fact, I know of are thoughts about the past and thoughts about the future. Mm. So, in fact, when we say thoughts about the present moment, we're really nailing things down or narrowing or put some restraints on upon things. Mm -hmm. we, we begin to restrain the mind from going into the past. Mm. So, so the part that Mindfulness, as I was practicing it before we were speaking, we started speaking. Um, I saw it as um, so I'm doing, you know, my day-to-day -day activities or whatever, and I noticed the mind has wandered into the past or the future. And by noticing that, I stop the train of thinking, step out of the way, as you say, and now I'm present. And then, and then I don't need to do anything. And then when I notice I'm lost again, then I just notice and step out of the way again. Is that is that what you're saying? Um, that's, <laughs> the answer to that is yes, and it's not enough. There's one more right. thing to do, okay. Okay? okay? But that's certainly the first step, is to, in fact, step out of the way. Um, the next step is uh, to take relief from the fact that you did step out of the way. Ah, glad in the mind. Uh, that you were guarding the mind. Congratulate yourself in that way. Or another way of saying it is, is that we are actually coming out of the uh, critical thinking mind, that which is good and bad and right and wrong, or I'm not sure and all of that, into a nurturing mind. Mm -hmm. uh, loving kindness. Okay, that's that's an expression of it, yes. But the loving kindness often <clears throat> in that way uh, is thought of as loving kindness for other people. But we're really talking about loving kindness as an attitude that shines all over the place, especially indoors. Complete acceptance. Mm. Well... Uh, that's an interesting word, acceptance. Um, another way would be by, there's, there's actually various levels. From out-and-out out hot warfare through cold warfare into tolerance, and then from tolerance to acceptance, and then the kind of acceptance that you're talking about. And then I would add on top of that, friendship. Uh, There's yeah. even a higher level than acceptance. Yeah. And then the highest level of all, I would put in the realm of uh, the Latin phrase, uh, <clears throat> amor fati. The word amor in Latin is the word to be in love. And fati in this sense is meaning fate. Now what I mean by that fate is exactly what's happening right now. So we actually fall in love with the here now. It's just absolutely wow. It's marvelous. It's like, wow, I'm glad to see you. Mm -hmm. 
Wow, know, what a relief it is to have you home. <laughs> I know, Cecile, that I, I've been thinking recently that, that it's there's a tendency to, you know, do things fast and sort of like if I'm putting away cutlery in the drawer to sort of throw it in there and all this sort of thing. And I realise that, that the attitude of loving kindness has to extend beyond just living beings and ourselves to, to everything, right, in every action and every... Because even if you treat the cutlery unkindly, the mind is still uh, not peaceful. Um, yeah, but anyway, it's a tangent. This is why in many ashrams and uh, watts and places like that, um, in, in collusion with whoever's in charge of the institution, the abbot or the uh, main guru or the... Um, uh, the Swami, whoever like that, uh, Chawat in Thailand, whoever it is, the guy that's in charge of the kitchen and the head monk will conspire together to get people to do exactly what you're talking about in the sense of slowing down every movement while they're dealing with the kitchen utensils, to watch mindfully. To, uh, uh, to not be in a hurry. That even though there is a line of people waiting on new dishes at the, uh, uh, at, at the retreat, they will get dishes by and by. My job is to wash this dish. Mm-hmm. And then I'll wash this dish. Uh-huh. So this is a way of um, um, actually using institutions like Watson and retreat centers and things like that to teach the students to slow down, to pay attention to what you're doing, to watch your hands. One well, of this is the very teaching that's in the uh, Satipatthana Sutta. The, the, uh, the, the language that is used is in the sense of uh, reaching and grasping and touching um, and um, uh, walking and going, uh, even uh, toilet duties, to watch every movement of what you're doing. Uh, put your experience in your hands and start watching what's happening. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the, and this is all uh, mindfulness training in the sense of being here now. Everything is associated with being here now. That in fact, the fingers themselves it, it, it's marvelous. Touch. Touching is, and, and there's so many hand mudras that are associated with that. One is like putting the thumbs together like this and touching ever so lightly. Or another one is putting the, all the fingers together and doing that. Or um, uh, with loving kindness, you put all of your mindfulness and awareness into the palm of the outstretched hands and, and radiate. Really pump that stuff and getting it going. Your hand gets really hot. A lot of blood goes right into the hand when you put your uh, your mind into the hands. And this is all part of the mindfulness training that's well known and practiced throughout Asia. This helps wake people up, is to start paying attention to what your body is doing. Not just while you're sitting in meditation, there about the only thing that's happening is breath. So watch closely, but when you're up and about, there's a whole lot of stuff going on, and we need to watch closely that also. Uh-huh. It's so, a training. So it, should there be should there be a conscious attention to watch the body, or is it just enough to notice when the mind has wandered and thereby automatically come back to the body? 
What do you mean by automatic? Well, if the mind, if you're not lost in thought, then you, you must be present and you must be aware of the body. Yes, well, sometimes you, uh, that mindfulness will come to the fore. Mm-hmm. And what you recognize by doing an investigation, hey, wow, everything really is good. Mm-hmm. I'm already breathing deep. Everything is fine. And we keep coming back to that. So sometimes it's so darned easy because you're already there. And you just wake up to the fact that here we are. <laughs> this, is, this is all that we need. And it's already on its own automatic pilot now. Okay. But so if I just, That takes some just, training. Yeah, of course. If I just tell you what my... So when I, I told you sometimes I have problems with mindfulness through trying so hard, what happens is I notice that my mind has wandered. So I'm, I'm present, right? I'm not wandering. But then I then I try and go further and I think, well, I need to watch the mind. I need to be mindful. I need to be mindful. I need to be. And then I and then I it's sort of like, um, you know, jack-a-mole or something like that. Hit trying to hit all the thoughts, catch all the thoughts. And then the, through trying to be mindful, I'm actually creating more thinking and being less mindful than I would be if I just stopped trying at all. Um, I understand what you're saying. Right. Yeah. That's part of working too hard. Another thing, uh, another way of doing it is just merely making sure instead of uh, using sati as a whipping tool or whatever, but rather um, to wake up into just having wholesome thoughts. Because in fact, that kind of thoughts not wholesome. Mm-hmm. That you're no. whipping yourself and that the more wholesome thought would be, ah, this is nice. Keep coming back to this present moment is just so good enough. So my mindfulness shouldn't be hard, should it? All day, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be a struggle, should it? It never is when it happens. The struggle comes a mind moment or two later when you reflect upon you. It's new, and before you didn't have it. And so we beat ourselves up for the beating okay. ourselves up that we were doing. Okay. So just uh-huh. keep, so just don't try and hold it tightly. When we notice we've wandered, then just come back. Then just step out it, of the way. It, yeah. Right. Instead of noticing that we wandered, think about it as noticing that it's time to come back. Okay. Ah, uh, yes, yes. The yes. natural state of the mind is to wander. It has been wandering for years. The monkey mind has been jumping from tree to tree to tree to tree for years now. Mm-hmm. Okay? Get used to it because that's your habit right now. Okay. Don't don't fuss at yourself. That's what you've been doing all along. That's part of the jumping around is fussing yourself for jumping around. But when I'm practicing mindfulness properly and gently, then the mind then I'm I'm present pretty much all the time. But it's the moment when I try and when I try and practice mindfulness, then suddenly I'm no longer present and I'm miserable and I very you know anxious and restless. So when I don't when I don't try when you say when you try to practice mindfulness, what that means is you remind yourself that you want something. Yeah. You remind yourself all mindfulness practice. Oh, I want mindfulness. And then you make yourself miserable because uh, you I, don't have it. <laughs> and then when I give up, I've dropped that, and then suddenly I'm present. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. 
So remember to drop that stuff as soon as you remember to drop that stuff and just be pleasant. So I see, I'm not even being mindful of when I'm trying to. Yes, because I'm not being mindful of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, when it when I have backed off the effort and it's been you know working, I can really I can really see what you're saying of stepping out. Like I, I, there's been thoughts that I've missed, and it's always as well. Of course, you know. It's the suffering is never from what's actually happening. It's from the thought we put on top of that. So recently, the last recently I've been because I'm in lockdown at home. I'll brush my teeth in the morning, and sometimes there's a thought of, "Oh God, it's the same thing every day." And I've just been noticing that thought. But now, now I notice the way, and oh, there's no suffering here. It's yeah, it works. Exactly. That in yeah. fact, that all here we go again, or there it is before. This is what in Buddhism would be called restlessness, or most people would use the word boredom. Yet another boring day. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which reminds me of the movie Groundhog Day, mm -hmm. where the guy tries to, uh, it is boring because it's the same thing and he can't get out of it. It's the same thing over and in. He tries to make it different and still winds up being the same. Mm -hmm. And he gets really frustrated like that. Um, another way of doing it is in, in Jack, enjoy the fact that you know the score. Mm. That in fact, that's one of the qualities of, let us say, well-played classical music. The people who love that piece of music the most are the ones who know it the best. Mm -hmm. The ones who have actually performed that piece of music when they were in an orchestra years later, they hear it and they know exactly what it is and they enjoy it note by note. They can keep track of it right down through the thing, right? All right. And this is an important quality, but uh, uh, a lesser musician would get bored with it because he's heard that darn thing before. Why should he play it again in his mind, right? The answer is, is it's a matter of attitude. It's your attitude. You can turn on the juice and really enjoy that symphony. Or you can uh, hate it with thoughts like, I've done that before, I've been here before, yeah, the same old thing. Okay. It's a but choice that's to part up, of, isn't it? Well, that's part moment. of the joy. Right. That's part of the joy of that statement in the Zen of no place to go and nothing to do. Yippee, kai okay. <laughs> no place to go and nothing to do. What a relief that is that I'm not driven to go anything, not by anybody on the outside world, not by any motivations on the inside. I'm not motivated to go anywhere and do anything. I can just sit down and relax. <sighs> but most people... I have they... noticed. Go ahead. Oh. oh, no, I was just going to say, I have noticed since our, our conversation a few days ago, although there have been these these periods of the, the you know, the, the crazy minds, as I've been saying, there's also the periods where now, now you, I, I feel confident there isn't anything to do. So it's just, ah, uh, it is okay just here. <laughs> yeah, just to relax. It's perfect. And you know, I wouldn't. I was just thinking last night. Um, I wouldn't actually. I had the thought. I, I wouldn't change anything in my life. Nothing. <laughs> so why try? Yeah. 
So any problems that you can come up with that need to be fixed so your life can be better, you can just never mind. <laughs> yeah. I'm already that, okay. This I see you, Mara. Uh-huh. Exactly so. Yeah. Well, I have heard stories that back in the hunter-gatherer days, 100,000 years ago or so, that basically the hunt took all day but when the hunt was successful, there was meat for days and days and days, eventually learning to dry it out and turn it into jerky. And then that uh, meat lasted for weeks. Meanwhile, the gatherers could gather for a couple of hours a day. And that's all that people had to work back then, way back when. It was about once a week you'd you'd work a day or maybe a couple of hours a day and that's all it took and after that everything is easy. Why is it now in modern times that we can't even get up to the workload that we had a hundred thousand years ago? Why is it that you feel compelled to work eight hours a day? And feel guilty if we don't. And feel guilty if you don't. And not only feel guilty, but feel deprived as if you were missing something. Mm-hmm. It's because we don't want to, we're not comfortable doing nothing. Well, this is why the society wants to train a child the way they do so that the child will feel like, number one, that the child is dependent upon this society, and number two, owe that society something. And in the process of fulfilling their duties to society, they also will get rewarded by society and get the benefits of their labors. Mm. Okay, so that's the that's the the method in which it's taught. And the Buddha or some wise man comes by and says, hey, wait a minute. Those folks are over there with their propaganda machine controlling you. You don't have to do any of that. You're already okay. Mm. You don't have to work. And there's certainly the downsides of the modern society we live in. There's plenty of downsides. And sometimes that, I start getting, you know, worked up about that. But then I, then I remember at the same time, uh, I've got, got somewhere to live and I've got plenty of food to eat and all my needs are taken care of. So it's actually that it's a wonderful opportunity to practice as well. Mm-hmm. Exactly so. Uh, that not everyone in the West has the four requisites. So we, but we need the four requisites, just enough shelter, just enough clothing, just enough um, uh, food, and just enough medical attention as sort of a baseline. And once we've got those things that we need, we don't need much of anything more than that. We can live a very easygoing life, not expensive at all. It's funny, I already, you know, Already through practicing, I just just find I want less and less and want to achieve less and less. Before I started, I wanted to, I had such sort of sky high goals, but just one reaching for those goals just made me suffer and and be unsatisfied with now. And so slowly working on that. So, yeah. Um, goals are like balloons. Once you let go of it, it's, it's <laughs> you'll never catch it again. There it goes. <laughs> I mean, how high can we set our goals, you know, and I'll never catch it. Mm-hmm. 
So no matter how much money we have, we still want yeah. more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. But when we set our goal with, this is really nice right now, then as we develop that skill, we have a whole lot more of really nice right now. Yeah, yeah. Because we know that you have the skill to keep that going. So that's basically what the, the real teachings of the Buddha are, is to stop trying to attain things. See the way that the mind works so that you don't wind up wanting any of that stuff. And keep your thoughts wholesome. Mm-hmm. With wholesome thoughts, everything is good. So that brings me on to Anapanasati, which I've been, as you know, I said in my email before, um, you know, we spoke the other day, I was practicing just sitting, which was, you know, without a goal or, or without any object, which was working nicely. Um, but I've been doing Anapana recently. Um, not, I've not been able to sit because I've got a sore back. So I've been doing walking and standing and lying, you know, um, which is not ideal, but there you go. Um, you can also try sitting in a posture or in a way like you are right now in a chair. so that your back is comfortable. Okay. Okay. The reason that the, um, there's really something in the suttas that I think every student should know about. Mm-hmm. Specifically when the translators translate cross-legged. The Pali word does not say specifically cross-legged. Really? No. Does not say cross-legged sitting. But that would be the natural way to sit if you were sitting on the ground. Because mm-hmm. you can sit longer if you're sitting cross-legged. But most people in the West don't sit on the floor for their whole lives like the Thai people do. Mm-hmm. So the Thai people are out there sitting cross-legged all day long at their job or something. No problem, no big deal at all. But actually the Pali word also includes the word chair and couch. Really? Okay, exactly. And so what we're actually talking about or referring to is whatever posture you're in, all four of the known established postures of sitting, standing, lying, and walking, I know that they, in some ways of looking technicality, that that there's other postures someone can be in. An example would be a ballerina standing on one toe, spinning around in a circle, okay? That's a posture that very few people ever get in, so in that regard, why even mention that kind of posture? Mm-hmm. Or another one would be... Um, uh, the praying mantis posture that a uh, 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 a master in Kung Fu would use, okay? Mm-hmm. That kind of posture is not normal, not average, so there's no way mostly people, when they're, uh, when they're just living their lives, they're either in one of these four postures. Mm-hmm. Given that that's the intention of seeing it like that, one can recognize all... Oh, <clears throat> that means that it is, it is um, a possibility that I can wake up and look at what's going on in any posture. That the posture, in fact, is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. But that we can use various aspects of various postures 
as as tools or guides. For instance, sitting on the floor um, or in a chair without moving the body any at all, that the only thing that much is happening is the breathing. So this is why we focus on the breath is because we're focusing on what's happening. Mm -hmm. But if the hands are doing something, we'll focus on those two and pretty soon with our mindfulness being sharp and focused, we're actually focusing on the entire body while it's breathing. And then when we go on walking meditation, then we begin to also focus on the body. And when we're grasping and reaching and living our lives and, and whatnot like that, we begin to use the body as a source of mindfulness for whatever the body's doing. Let's watch what is going on. That's what we're doing. Let's train in the here now with whatever the body is doing in the present moment. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is Kaya Nupasana. But uh, part of that practice of uh, watching the body, noticing the body, that has the quality of waking up the body so that we become very alert. There are things, in fact, that are happening very subtly to the body that many people will uh, not notice or that it will be left under the level of the radar, so they say, Mm -hmm. or that is subconscious. But once we practice Anapanasati and and waking up the body, then subtle things that would happen, we'll now notice them. Things that happen, touch of the cloth, the skin, hair rising up on the back of the neck, and other things like that that will give you uh, the understanding that someone's sneaking up behind you. Wakey, wakey. Okay that the whole body becomes an antenna when we pay attention to it. So basically what we mean is to get that antenna in shape, we got to go around tweaking it and checking it out and saying, hey, are you there? Knock, knock. Can I? Can you hear me now? Kind of thing in that cell commercial. Okay, so yeah, am I here? Yep, I'm there. Am I here? Yep, I could get that. Yeah, I got that one too. Okay, and so we begin to check things out. This is part of the investigation of the body. And that uh, it can either be done formally in a, in a series intentionally, or it can be as things arise. Just whenever things come up, then that's the time for sati to kick in. Okay, and so by doing that with the body, we also are able then uh, with the body that we are uh, in fact gladdening the mind. So we could say that, in fact, with the sutta's uh, point, that the main uh, right effort is to, in fact, gladden the mind. But one of the ways that we gladden the mind also is with taking the deep breaths and getting attuned to the here now and being here with it. Okay. And so basically what's going on now is, is that we have changed the kinds of thoughts that we're thinking The mind is becoming attuned to what's going on. We're watching the body. And basically what that means is, is that the mind and the body are kind of ganging up on the feelings. Mm -hmm. So that eventually now the feelings will come along. And in doing so, that's when a very surprising, in fact, I just talked to uh, uh, Keyshawn about this earlier, that he's recognizing that he in fact can control his feelings. 
by learning to control the body, by learning to control the breathing, by learning to control our thoughts, we in fact can begin to control our feelings so that we can rise at that sukha and sense of well-being and feeling good and successful and happy and satisfied and content. But that stuff in the Anapanasati Sutta is doable. (laughs) But it takes a while to keep coming back to the present moment, keep experiencing how nice things are, and pretty soon you begin to talk yourself into feeling good about what's really here. Mm. But I often tell the students that you spent years and years and years talking yourself into feeling bad, being critical, trying to match up to some goal, um, uh, not being good enough, feeling like a victim of the society, and and, uh, trying your best to keep up and always feeling like a failure, and it just goes on and on and on and on and on. Over and over again, we work hard at making ourselves feel bad. Now is the time to throw all of that out, recognize that all of that stuff is unwholesome, and to start having wholesome nurturing thoughts. And by doing so, we begin to then have uh, nurtured feelings, that we feel nurtured. We feel uh, uh, like that we're getting finally what we actually have been needing all along. Mm That that's what we've been striving for is a sense of well-being, but we haven't had it because we've always had a sense of danger. I'm not good enough. I got to do something or or things will really go south is generally the way that we think. So now we're thinking that things are not going south. Forget about those myths and those fairy tales. Everything's all right right now. I'm good. Everything's fine. And so we start to nurture. And by having nurturing thoughts and nurturing breath, and we relax and say, okay, I finally get it. Everything is all right now. There really are no alligators in the house. And we come to feel everything's all right. Everything is fine. And so we get into that state of well-being and we want to practice that over and over again to continue to go back into that state of well-being. And then we also want to develop the skill of being able to maintain that sense of well-being and and let it stretch out and get longer and longer. And how we do that is by being on guard and not let more unwholesome thoughts back in because it's the unwholesome thoughts that will take us out of this sense of well-being back into I got a job to do. Mm-hmm. I got work to do. Mm-hmm. I got I got to get some mindfulness here, folks. <laughs> I got to I got to practice right. I got to do it. I got to do I gotta it. I got to practice right. I got to do it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, and then and you never get there. You're trying to do it cor- correct. Oh, you've always got an idea in your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, if I if I start getting like that, can I just can I just drop effort for a period? Yeah, for about two seconds, maybe even two microseconds. No, that's too quick. Um, what should I do? Two hundred. 200 milliseconds. That's what, your time frame. <laughs> what should I do if I start getting all in my head and trying to be mindful and restless and then you anxious? when you see that mm-hmm. when you see that 
you can say something like, ha, 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 I see that. <laughs> and I don't have to do that right now. Okay. So two milliseconds later, okay. two, excuse me, 200 milliseconds later, about two thought moments later, we're taking a deep breath and we're saying, boy, I'm glad I don't have to think about that right now. <laughs> wow, just, and I was ready to give up meditation for six weeks <laughs> because of that shit. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I can give it up in just half a second. <laughs> and just, just be, if there's unpleasant sensations in the body, just be with the sensations. Ah, oh, sensations. Oh, yeah. Let me let me watch those things. Yeah, they're 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 instructive. In fact, they're they're messengers. Let me pay yeah. attention to what they're saying. Yeah. Let me okay. take a deep breath and see if I can train. Uh, uh, get them to change their attitude also. Hmm. We become yeah. friends with everything, and that's in fact by friends with everything. Everything is all right. Everything is uh, nurturing. And when we catch uh, um, ourselves, or let us say, when we catch the anxiety and we turn that on it, you see, one of the things about anxiety is that people don't like it. Yeah. And so they immediately say, gosh, I got to get rid of this stuff. Oh, what can I do to get rid of it? Okay, and they don't like it. Mm-hmm. That whatever it is that turned that anxiety on is now still going on. Even though they know that it's anxiety, they still keep that valve open. They haven't closed the valve. They don't like the anxiety, which creates more tension and more uh, uh, problems. So the solution to that is when you see anxiety, you say, what is that? Oh, yeah, I've seen you before. Come in, settle down. Let me take a look at you. And then we start breathing into that anxiety. You see, we don't have to hate it. This is when we're learning to control our feelings. Because the guy who can't control his feelings will naturally hate the anxiety that he feels. But if you can control your feelings, you can control your thoughts to the point of saying, well, get over this. Take a look at it. Breathe deeply into this. Let's see if we can move anxiety around. Does it come up this high? Does it go that low? Does it come over here? And pretty soon we begin to um, get to know it pretty well. But in the process of that, it's kind of losing all of its power. In fact, most of its powers, it was in the power of you not liking it. For in fact, the real situation was it was just a sensation in the body that was indicating you probably got way too much adrenaline in your blood system. And so hating that adrenaline in your blood system is sure going to keep it going. But being curious about it and glad to find it and recognizing that it's just a part of what's happening in the moment and it's not the boss. Doesn't run the show. I am not the victim of this anxiety. There is no victim. (laughs) There is no victim, in fact. It's just anxiety, and that is to be played with like a toy. Anxiety is only bad when we feel like we're victimized by it, and we've got to go do what it orders us to do. Then, in fact, the worst of it is, is that there it is, and it feels so bad that we will do anything and offer it any gifts for it to go away. 
Oh, if I go get a PhD, this anxiety will go away. Oh, if I go rob the bank, this anxiety will go away. Oh, if I become president in the United States, this anxiety will go away. <laughs> if, I if I become a stream enterer, then this anxiety will go away. <laughs> yeah, if I become a stream enterer, then this anxiety will go away. That's a good one. I like that one. <laughs> that's when you that's when you've realized all the other ones won't work and you get caught on one last thing. <laughs> exactly right and in fact this all of that kind of stuff um has the cause effect relationship backwards mm. the cause effect relationship in the mind is backwards in that sense mm -hmm. that we think that um uh that if i get this then the anxiety will go away and often except for that last one that you mentioned, is, is that whatever it is that I was asking for, if I get it, it's going to make the anxiety worse, not better. <laughs> right. Really? Yeah. But the answer is that if you did get soda fine, then that doesn't mean that you're going to be free from the anxiety, but you're not going to be enemies with it anymore. Right. Yeah. You're not going to go to hell for it. There's no, there's no self to be anxious. So there's just anxiety. It's just anxiety. Yeah. yeah. By the way, speaking of, speaking of, well, we were talking, we were talking um, last time about um, how there is no enlightened, you know, state of enlightenment you can attain in the future. It's only practice moment by moment. And it reminded me of, of the, the thing in Zen, uh, you know, continuous practice enlightenment. Have you heard that phrase? Yeah, and I finally get it now. It's it's that you, enlightenment is in is in every moment, and it's always practice. And there's never a state where you can stop practicing because it's always, is in every moment. Yeah, like we took spoke about, and that's helped me a lot to let go of any goals because it it's just only here now. Mm -hmm. Right, that's all we've got is to here now. Mm -hmm. And if there is a goal that you want to reach now that you don't have then that's why we feel bad. It's because we want something. Yeah, it's sort of, it's just to try and reach some attainment is just completely, it's completely the, the wrong idea. It's, it's a chasing your tail. Well, it's, it's got the cause and effect wrong, like you said. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's why the cause of suffering, the second noble truth, is so important, so powerful for us to understand that it's wanting things. That's the cause of suffering. It says that most specifically. It couldn't be more clear, and yet it's so hard for the Western mind to get that in, that the cause of suffering is wanting things we don't have. And, and this is okay, I want to get into the state of wanting, uh, not wanting anything. They call that desiring desirelessness. Uh, so what a mess. <laughs> that is a mess. <laughs> wanting something that I don't have. What do you want? I want to be in a state of not wanting anything. It's like, duh. <laughs> <laughs> There's a similar joke to that uh, in Christianity in the sense of, oh, Lord, please give me patience. Give me patience <laughs> right <laughs> bloody now. <laughs> A bit close to home, Damrata. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, we're all like that. Everybody's the same. We, we, we humans are very, very interestingly similar. Yeah. But and, but no one realizes that when well, people don't realize that when we're stuck in our ideas and, and of self. But the more everybody we see thinks, it, oh, I'm special. Well, we're trained to be special. Our teachers tell us we're special. Our kindergarten teachers tell us, oh, you're so special. Oh, you can achieve. You can do anything you want to. What that really means is you got to pick on this list what we want you to do, one of these items, and then you better damn get good at it or we're going to beat your ass. <laughs> <laughs> and the kids could feel that inside somewhere. We recognize that we've got to perform. Mm -hmm. You've got to get up to scratch in order to get our uh, cookies. We have to eat our broccoli or we're not going to get any cake at all. This is grilled into us as children. I wonder so why... You, do you think Western society has become like this just because of unchecked greed, hatred and delusion? It's just a natural sort of expression of it in a, on a wider scale. Right. Exactly Out of control, so. isn't it? Mm -hmm. and, it's sort of, and I think it's sort of speeding up as time goes on. It's getting more out of control. Um, in a way, all three are growing. Mm -hmm. Greed, ill will, especially, uh, and they all grow in cycles, but right now there's an awful lot of ill will. <laughs> mm -hmm. 20 years ago, a lot of ill will was in the uh, Muslim community, but they kind of got it out of the system, and now the Americans are just fit to be tied. <laughs> Literally, I want to tie some of those dudes. <laughs> so, um, this, but the point that I'm making here is, is that not only is the greed and the ill will on the rise now, overall, over a long wave, a period of time, ignorance is giving slowly away to knowledge. Humanity is beginning to wake up. Many, many examples of that. One of the examples that I have with Martin Luther King when he said that the, uh, uh, the arc of justice uh, bends or that things bend in the direction of, uh, of justice over the long period of time. And what he was saying is, is that things do become eventually unhidden. That things are not going to stay hidden to humanity for quite so long. The lies that we have been told will become exposed. Mm -hmm. And that that's basically what humanity is really all about, or not, let's say, humanity. That's too broad. Let us say human culture. Mm -hmm. Human culture is based upon a set of lies or propaganda. And the main, the, the main way of stating that lie is good actions will give you good results and bad actions will give you bad results no matter what. That's the kicker. Because any kid can say, hey, I can get away with it. Sometimes I get away with it and sometimes I don't, but I can get away with it. And if I get really good at getting away with it, I'll get away with it a lot. 
Mm-hmm. And the old school mom comes in and say, by God, you will not get away with it. You will get caught if we have to hire police. If we have to invent hell, we'll do anything it takes to get you to understand you can't get away with it. <laughs> and so this is the foundation of our culture, because otherwise we can control anybody. All the kids would just walk away and says, no, you can't. I can get away with it. And that's part of the reason why it's been so such a long, slow blog, a uh, slog of getting humanity civilized. It's because it's, the whole civilization is based upon a lie. Right. Rather than the wisdom of, hey, guys, if you just cooperated together, there's no end to how much fun you could have. It's but, built on a selfish lie, isn't it? it it's, not, it's not built on, yeah. It's built upon controlling other people. It always has to do with my power is not my power over my mind but my power over is control of your behavior. Mm-hmm. Okay. And why would anybody want to control anybody else's behavior? The answer is because they don't like something on the inside, and they think that if I can make those people suffer and do what I want them to do, then I'll feel better. Okay, that particular idea then is very sociopathic, they call it. Mm-hmm. Is that I can harm those guys any way that I want to, so long as I get them to pay homage to me so that I feel good. Mm-hmm. Until one of them stabs me in the back, but <laughs> I'm not watching for that kind of stuff. I'm only watching for, will they do what I tell them to do? Well, guess what? That doesn't happen just in the mafia world. That happens at school. Happens at school with the bullies, with the teachers, with the principal. It have, I mean, the whole hierarchy is set up yeah, that way. It does. So we go around trying to get along by putting up with and, and doing whatever we're told to do by whatever bully it, that is in front of us, whether he's 14 years old or 40 or <laughs> wears an old suit or whatever it is. Maybe he's a cop, but we got to do what we're told to do. You see? And that's the society that we live in. And that's why we have so many rules. But when we wake up to all of that, then we can see things more clearly in the sense of uh, there's an actual better way of looking at it. And that is Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. Let's live this moment to remove the amount of suffering that we can see right here in this moment. If we can get really good at that, then we can begin to see Dukkha coming and we can get out of the Dukkha now that would get here 10 seconds from now. Sometimes we can see it coming a day in advance. If we know how to look and what to look for. So that's the whole new way of living our lives is based upon this one precept. Is seeing what's going on and making sure that we stay out of the way of all of the problems that could possibly, all the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. We can sidestep them all. <laughs> we're watching what we're doing. No get, no need to get shot by that arrow. But if we, if we can see the bowman before he draws that arrow, we can <laughs> hide behind a tree and he can't shoot us. So in that regard, even if he does hit us with the arrow, 
Then, it, then the sutta, I think it's number uh, 64 in the sutta. And that is, is that uh, the guy is laying there. He got shot with the arrow. His friends see he's gotten shot, and he, uh, they order a doctor to come. And before uh, the doctor starts his work, the guy grabs the doctor and says, Doctor, who <laughs> shot me? <laughs> you know? What clan was he in? I want to know all about the bow and the arrow and all that kind of stuff. It, with the idea is, is that once Dukkha comes, there's really no reason to try to inspect it too deeply. The issue is, is that once the Dukkha comes, take it out. Take it out immediately. Just let go. Put the salve on that wound and yank that thing out and do it quick. The longer it stays there, the more it's going to fester and make trouble. And the more it festers and stays trouble, the more I'll hate the guy who shot me. <laughs> Especially if that guy who shot me is already inside my own head. <laughs> and so this is a way of looking at it is, is that we uh, that real um, uh, excellent action is to see the dukkha before it comes. But we still have to deal with it, even if it does get here, even though it hits us. Our job is to get it out immediately. And so this is how we practice Anapanasati, which is a bit different than other methods, which do things like noting. Doesn't matter how bad you feel, note it well. Keep noting. Yeah, we know how bad you feel. Look, inspect closely. Become really excellent at feeling bad. I became quite an expert feeling bad when I was practicing noting. I'm sorry, we got a lot of dogs oh. barking right now. What did you say? I became quite an expert at feeling bad when I was noting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I tried that. <laughs> Not Bad feelings are optional. We are almost trained from childhood to think that bad feelings are necessary. And they're not. They're always optional. That mm -hmm. you don't have to feel bad in order to get a job done. You can feel bad or not and do the job or not. Right. The don't job has got nothing to do with how you feel about doing it. Yeah. If you don't like it, you'll not do a very good job of it anyway. <laughs> Can I just can I just interject a question? Because I, I'm aware if I've kept you for an hour already, so I don't want to keep you too much longer. Um, okay. So I've been doing my Anapanasati. First, um, firstly, as far as far as right effort, is it enough? Is it? I feel as though just setting the intention to watch the breath almost. There doesn't have to be a continuous conscious effort to to watch the breath because that becomes like a thought. It's more like a Noticing, right? Exactly so. Um, the whole idea of continuous is one of the downfalls of Western Buddhism. That in fact, continuous is not the same as sati. Mm -hmm. Imagine that sati is more like the dog coming when you call him. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or that you call the mind the wake up. The bugle blows or something. Wakey, wakey. And then the dog that you call will come. 
-hmm. That's different than having a dog in uh, chained to a tree out there or in a cage. Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of people think that meditation is, is putting the mind into a cage. That's, that's your why, idea of continuous. That's what I did for two years. And, and, you know, trying to keep my mind in a cage from the, it also in moment to moment life, even when I wasn't sitting. And I basically gave myself an anxiety disorder. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's, it's a lot better. I've got, and since I stopped doing that, you know, then there's the anxiety just it still comes in. I tried so far too hard all the time. It was miserable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Allow your mind to have freedom but also keep calling it back. Okay. The proper word here is unremitting. Unremitting, like the Energizer Bunny, you know that old commercial, or, yeah. or hitting a drum. So here's the hand is like the head of a drum, mm -hmm. and this fist is like the, the mallet for the drum head or the, uh, the drumstick, okay? Is this the right way to hit a drum? No. You have to let go again. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, but that's the way that a lot of people try to practice meditation. But this is the way to play a drum. Yeah. Okay. What that means is, is that it's unremitting. You keep playing. You keep coming back and coming back that you don't have to be on the object all the time. Yeah. That you do want to have the mind to have freedom, and one of the freedoms that you're going to have is to visit all the various points of Anapanasati so that we can watch the body, we can watch the breathing, we can watch the relaxation, we can watch the joy, we can watch the, uh, uh, the gathering of the joy, we can watch the uh, gladdening of the mind. There's all of these parts of Anapanasati and there's also the kind of wholesome thoughts of just Buddhism in general. This is suffering. Or, hey, this is not suffering at all. Okay? And so these are all of the various kind of thoughts that we can have that are wholesome, valuable, worthwhile in having. And we want to make sure that that's the drum we're beating on rather than the one that's got a broken drum head on it. Or the one who's given, playing sour notes or whatever like that. And so we distinguish what is wholesome thought and what is unwholesome thought okay every time we remember not that you have to remember every thought moment because you're not even good yet enough to see what a thought moment really is you're on the way but they happen pretty quick and as you train you'll begin to see some thought moments popping up and then you recognize when there's nothing but one thought moment after another that's all there is i have seen that but it's not all the time Mm -hmm. Okay, so in that realm, we have then the choice of what kind of thought moment are we going to have? Are we going to have a wholesome thought moment now? How about now? How about now? Is this one a good one? Yeah, this is good. Mm. And so that question and answer, question and answer, or how am I going, or unremitting, that's like playing the drum as opposed to the kind of meditation that a lot of people are trying, which is pushing the object too hard, wanting too much out of it, thinking they've got to do it every second or every mind moment, and when they can't do that, now they're feeling bad. And so what good is that kind of meditation of failing and noting failure and feeling bad about failing? 
when if I were practicing just the opposite of that is noticing success, liking the success, checking the success out, full investigation of the success, and then come back and look at success again. <laughs> so it's just what we're noticing the breath. It's we notice it's there. And then the mind wanders when we notice the mind wanders and then we just remind ourselves of the breath. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then we and I've noticed, you you know, glad, glad in the mind, enjoy the breath, brighten the mind. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, so actually, just more... keep practicing that over and over and over again. And pretty soon you'll get to the point of hot dog. I can do this. Yeah, I can do this. That's and a major milestone the, the practice. I, I was no. I noticed the other night. I I was practicing, you know, and I and I, and I, I realized every. So in the past, I practiced, const, you know, samatha meditation, but it it never went that any well. Since I started practicing Buddhism, I had a blockage, which was, oh, I need to get jhana, or I need to get this, or blah, 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 I need to get more concentrated, and it, so so it never got anywhere. But I realized, oh, if I if I just notice the thought, I need to get somewhere, notice it, return to the breath. I'm just every time a hindrance arises, we just let go of it. And, and it's there's so I, I realize there's no obstacle to that, like blocking my progress at all. Exactly. Yeah. Great. See what an insight that is. Wow. But it but, you know, but then still they won't be like that all the time at first. Yeah. One more thing, and I'll let you go. This is a really quick question. Okay. Sometimes I find the mind is too, um, it's not calm enough to watch the breath. So if I try and watch the breath, it like focus, tries too hard. Could I just do, you know, five minutes, just very, very relaxed mindfulness without a particular object, maybe just the whole body, and then do go to the breath? Well, I don't see much difference right. in the sense that if you are watching the whole body, then you're watching the whole body breathing. So I just I'm just it's just trying too hard then at the beginning again. Okay. Again, yeah. it's a matter of working too hard or expecting too much or even saying that watching the breath is too hard to do. Uh, uh, that's yeah. ridiculous because <laughs> if, there's, if there's anything that's easy to do is to take a deep breath. I can't think of anything to see. In fact, hold your breath and see how long you can go without taking an in-breath. The, and it the body be will breath. beg for it. And you want, you want, you, it should be long breath, shouldn't it, consciously at first? Mm -hmm. That's to, to calm the mind. Long, deep, satisfying. Mm -hmm. Long, deep, satisfying breath as opposed to uh, uh, the, the normal short breath mm -hmm. that we, that we have. Um, that is more described as shallow breathing and is only associated with this part. But a long breath, a deep breath is going to move the chest, the abdomen, the shoulders, everything's going to be moving. Mm -hmm. But eventually there comes a point when the breath becomes a lot more subtle, doesn't there? Um, it, so is there yes. a certain point? And what I say to that is wakey, wakey. Ah, really? Okay, now, the, say, now yeah. the question about subtle is um, confusing for most because what does subtle mean? Does subtle mean the observer 
are subtle means to the uh, participant. Right. If this, if it's subtle to the participant, the answer is wakey, wakey. Look at what you're doing. But there is also a way of breathing very deep, very long, and very slow that is quite useful, but that is not so noticeable because it is long, deep, slow breathing, still intentional. So be very gentle with the long breath. Don't try and force it. Just just sort of encourage right. it. To very be long. long, slow, gentle yeah. breathing. Without having any goals, but over time it will, in fact, uh, lengthen. So it's not like it's not like you know um, yoga or pranayama or anything. It's not forceful. It's just very in- encouraging to, to the longer breath. Yeah. Uh, oh, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> let, um, how to say it? Um, let's not get too deep into the complexities of reality. All right. That yes, there is a uh, deep connection between anapanasati and pranayana breathing. Mm-hmm. Deep connections between them. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Well, anyway, I'll. I'll been... Anapana and pranayana are actually the same word. They're just backwards. You can see the ana. Ah yes. Anapana and pranayana. They're just the same word, one's in Sanskrit, and they're backwards with each other. Anapana means to in-breath, out-breath, and pranayana means the out-breath, in-breath. And how they're used is similar, mostly in the sense that all of the pranayana and anapanasati breathing is conscious and controlled. That you're doing stuff with it. Mm-hmm. as opposed to convincing yourself that you're watching it while the mind is just a jungle in there. So it should be contr- it should always be controlled. Yes. Cuz a, a lot of teachers don't teach that. I That's know. And they're wrong, I are they? I know. Uh let us say that there are things that students can learn from various teachers. Mhm. Some teachers uh, emphasize one thing and some teachers emphasize another. And for that reason, it's actually a good idea for students to have more than one teacher. Okay. But in fact, you could say that the teachers who don't teach all of it or because they didn't have enough teachers, they settled with one mm-hmm. instead of going all over the place and getting everybody's and putting it all together and figuring out uh, what's really going on is not the purview of just one teacher. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The Buddha had several teachers. You've had many teachers in your life. One of the jokes I'd say is, do you remember when you were in the first grade and then the second grade? Do you ever remember your first and second grade teacher fighting with each other who was the best teacher? (laughs) No, they're probably best of friends. So it's just different aspects of the Anapanasati Sutta that di- different teachers pick out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh well, Samarato, I could, I, I'm sure you real. I could talk to you all day about the, about the Dharma, but uh, me too. <laughs> <I thought>. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, Karen, we'll let you go now, and you continue your practice. You're doing good. Keep it up. Thank keep you. noticing. Keep watching. And when I say keep, that means keep returning to watching. 
Yeah, don't keep what keep returning. Keep returning. Right, keep returning. Uh, so keep coming back and coming back and coming back over and over again. With great joy. Aha, I finally came back. Okay. Well, maybe I'll, next time I call you, maybe I'll leave it about a week this time. Would that would that be good? Up to you. Up to me. Okay. Thank you. We'll see you. Lovely speaking to you, Damarato. Enjoy the rest of your day. Okay. You too. Okay. Bye.